Turn, if you would, to Psalm 63. Psalm 63. And while we're turning there, we'll have a word of prayer in a moment. Behold our God. That's what we do when we come to worship. We come to see and to savor the Lord. We come to see a vision of God, hear a word of God from God, so that we might come to know God and worship Him and give Him the glory He's due. And we were made for that. We were actually made for it. And many of the great catechisms of old said, what's the chief end of man? Like, what's the chief purpose? What's the chief business of man? But to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And that's what we get to taste and see as we come and meet together and gather to worship our great God. So let's pray and let's ask the Lord to meet with us right now in a special way. Father God, we come before You and we recognize, Lord, that when times are darkest, Your light shines all the brighter. That when our souls are weary and we feel like we're in a desert wasteland, You provide the living waters and hope to help us. And we have been given the great privilege of gathering to make much of You. It's not unto us, Lord. Not unto us, but unto Your name we give glory. And so, Lord, as we're gathered here and as there are some gathered no doubt online to hear Your Word, we pray that You would open our hearts. We pray, Lord, that You would prepare our souls. We pray that the Spirit of the Lord would grip us. We pray that the Word of God would help us. We pray, Lord God, that we would have ears to hear You with clarity and that You would dial a sermon in to tailor it to where we are at in our heart's needs. That You would be bringing healing balm to our broken and weary hearts. That You would be bringing hope to the discouraged soul. That You would be bringing life to those who are dead spiritually. That You would help us to see and savor You and rejoice in You. And Lord, as we look at Psalm 63, I pray that the Spirit of the Lord would blow upon that Word And Lord, that it would sail into our hearts in a life-giving, soul-transforming, Christ-honoring, Spirit-anointed way. And so we pray You would bless this Word now in Jesus' name. Amen. So I thought, I had some time, obviously, to think a couple weeks about what we would be getting into when I got back. And I, I was thinking... What, what do we need most in a time like this? What, do we, what, what, what word do we need to hear? And the Lord really put on my heart a, a series called Seeking the Face of God. And really, um, anytime there's been revival throughout history, whether it's biblically, 
speaking or through church history, anytime there's been a revival that broke out in the church, there's been a fresh awakening to the presence of God and to the sinfulness of man and to the power of God's word and the humility of fervent prayer. And Psalm 63 is a slice of that, but I, we're going to look several weeks at different texts that help us get at different nuances of what, what does it mean to actually seek God? And that's why we come here. We, we want to be visited by God. We want God in our life. We want the Spirit of the Lord to do something in our hearts. And deep down, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. And our souls are unsatisfied until they're satisfied with the, the marrow and fat of a vision of God. 2 Chronicles 7 kind of lays out a little bit of this vision as Solomon was building the temple after it was done. He prayed and he said these words, if my, and this was like the Lord speaking through him, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves. Now this is, this is Old Testament Israel, but this applies to the church. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. So the promise is, as we humble ourselves and seek God and turn from our sins and actually confess them and come to God for who He is and all that we need is in God, He promises to meet us and help us and totally transform us and renew us and the promise in the Old Testament was there would be peace in the land. The promise in the New Testament is that there'd be peace in your heart. That there'd be satisfaction in your soul. There would be the Spirit of God actually coming and meeting with you and living in you and giving you a sense that God is with you no matter what is going on. And so we're going to look at what does it mean to seek God? What does it mean to seek Him in prayer? What does it mean to seek Him in His Word? What does it mean to seek Him in the wilderness of our soul? Or the wilderness that we may be experiencing around us? And so ultimately, that's what we're after. And when we get into Psalm 63, I'm going to read it straight through, but I, I want to say a couple of things to kind of introduce us and kind of get us into the world of what's happening here because psalm 63 was not a psalm that was penned when everything was going well it was much like our day today where things were going awful it was much like our day today when the soul was weary and shriveled up and and david is is in a season here where he's actually being pursued by his very own son his flesh and blood Absalom, who had started an insurrection and actually was chasing David out of Jerusalem into the wilderness. And David is like a vagabond in the wilderness, just all dried up 
on the run. His son wants to murder him. His own closest counselor, Ahithophel, betrays him and goes with Absalom, and half the city has gone after this mutinous insurrection. And David pens these words given to us by the Spirit of God. And they're for us to help us with hope and encouragement to seek God in the wilderness of our lives. And perhaps we are in a wilderness today. Perhaps you're in a wilderness of despair. Perhaps you're in a wilderness of being in a school where you have most of your fellow students do not know Jesus and want nothing to do with Jesus. And you're trying to figure out how do I fit in being a Christian when it's kind of weird to be a Christian and God would have you be faithful. Or maybe you're in a wilderness of loss and discouragement and tragedy. And you need to know that God has a word for you as he did for David and through David to us. So hear the word of the Lord in Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You hear the desperation. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you and your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear to him or swear by him shall exult for the mouths of liars will be stopped. I remember every year I would go to Tahoe on a trip with my dad. We would drive from Southern California all the way up to Central California. And Tahoe is a beautiful place. I mean, you got a picture like a resort kind of area in the middle of the mountains, a beautiful lake, like crystal glass, you know, you can parasail and water ski and... You could ski during the winter on the mountains. It's just a beautiful place. But you got to drive about like eight, nine hours to get there. And you drive, you literally drive through a desert. You literally drive through what's called the high desert. And there's nothing but like cactus and tumbleweeds blowing through 
you know, like the Wild West. And it's, it's miserable. I, I hated the drive because there was just nothing really to look at. It was just this like flat, barren, desert wasteland. And the picture is like, I, I just kind of imagine, like, what if I was stuck out there? I'd be totally desperate, right? I'd be, I'd be longing for water, longing for food, longing for rescue. And ultimately, the same is true when we get into spiritual deserts and spiritual wastelands and spiritual wildernesses. And we all know, you may be walking in here with a wilderness today and feeling very thirsty, very much dry, very much shriveled up, very much needing the waters of God to break in and renew you and strengthen you and help you and show you what the wilderness is meant to teach you. Because there's two ways to handle wilderness. You can turn to God in the wilderness, which is what David does. Or you can turn away from the Lord in the wilderness. And it reveals the state of the heart. So I want, to, I want to encourage us to catch the vision of what David is all about. He's all about seeking God in this passage. In the midst of intense trial. And I could think of very little that would be more discouraging and more debilitating than to have your own son trying to kill you and you're out in the wilderness. You have to leave everything you know, everything that makes you feel secure. The palace is gone. The city is gone. The people are divided. You're the king, but your son is usurping that authority. And he does some horribly vile things in David's very house before the broad daylight. And there's a sense in which David's reputation is being smeared. And the desert just feels dry. And the waters seem non-existent. What do you do when your soul is aching in the middle of a desert? And David's going to help us. The first thing we see David say and ultimately show us is that we need to seek God personally in the desert, in the wilderness. You need to seek God personally. What do you see here in verse 1? Oh God, you are my God. You are my God. There's personal pronouns all through this. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh thirsts faints for you as in a dry and weary land. Verse 2, so I looked upon you in the sanctuary because your steadfast love is better than life. There is a relationship happening here. David knows his God and David knows his God in the middle of the wilderness. He knows his God in the empty barrenness of the wilderness where he's got nothing to hold on to but God. Because he knows God personally. He knows God truly. He knows God wholly. And there's, there's language here that he knows him and he seeks him with his whole soul. My soul thirsts for you. And then my flesh, my body, it's seeking after you. This is, this is the holistic picture of somebody who's approaching God as his God. It's approaching God in faith, trusting him in the middle of a barren wilderness 
where there is no water, where there is no help, humanly speaking, he's got nothing going on for him but being on the run. And David comes to God with an intimate prayer. Oh God, you are my God. Have you ever said that in the wilderness? Have you ever thought like, oh God, you are my God. That's it. Brothers and sisters, that's the test of the real reality of your profession of faith. When you're in the wilderness, when your soul is crying out, do you come to God as your God? Not as like, oh yes, there's, there's this God in the Bible and we're, you know, we read about Him and it's fascinating history, but I'm not in touch with Him. No, this is our God. Behold our God. Behold your God in the middle of the wilderness and He will provide you help. He will sustain you as He did the king. And verse 11 reminds us that this psalm ends with David rejoicing. But the king shall rejoice in his God. And Absalom's insurrection goes very horribly. And God does deliver David. But it doesn't mean the wilderness is not painful. It doesn't mean the wilderness is not difficult. It doesn't mean the wilderness is not something where you are experiencing everything falling apart and the bottom falling out of your life and you just need help. Oh God, You are my God. Is that the heart cry of your soul in times of difficulty? Is that your heart cry daily? Is that the kind of relationship you have with God? Or is He this distant landlord? Or is He this kind of cosmic sort of genie in a bottle that sometimes you come to when you need help? Or is He your God? Because you've laid hold of Him by faith. Because you've personally come and drank from the waters of life that are offered to you in Christ. So David knew what it meant to meet God personally in trials. And is not God's heart to come and seek and save that which is lost? That's what Jesus says in the Gospels. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. Are you lost today? Are you beside yourself? Are you in the wilderness? The Son of Man, the Son of God, the King of Kings has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And that means you, if you will believe. He'll be with us in the wilderness. He's a very personal God and He cares about you. And He'll meet with you. But we not only see that David seeks God personally, but he seeks God earnestly. Look at verse 1. If this was not already clear, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts and my flesh faints as in a dry and weary land. And some translations say instead of earnestly, early I seek you. It's as if the very first thing 
David is doing with his day is he's approaching God for help. He's approaching God in a dependent, earnest way. They used to, to memorize and recite this psalm in the morning in the early church because they called it the morning psalm. Because you rise with it. You rise with it. Are you in a wasteland? Are you in the desert? Rise early with God and go and meet Him. And come to him like, look, David is remembering days like when he would get to actually come to corporate worship in verse two. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Why do we sing songs like behold your God? Because the Bible tells us to behold our God. And if you have eyes to see, there's glory to be seen. There's grace to be had. There's power to deal with your troubled soul. And God demonstrated His love for you that while you were still a sinner, He sent Christ to die on the cross to rescue you. And if you seek Him earnestly, if you seek Him first, what did we read in, in 2 Chronicles? But if you will humble yourself and seek His face and turn, He will heal you. He'll meet with you. He'll help you. This is the God of reality. He's the God of the Bible. He's the God of history. He's the Lord of glory. And He will visit you when you seek Him earnestly, rising early in the day. And Charles Spurgeon helpfully reminds me that there was no desert in the heart of David, even though his body had the desert all around him. He didn't have a desert in his soul. He had a desert around him. You may have circumstances around you that are like a desert. In your family. In your friendships. At school. At work. Where is the desert encroaching on you? But if there's no desert in your heart because the living waters of Christ have come in, and Jesus says, come to the waters and drink freely. And I will give you rest. And the language there is a language of like a deer panting for the water brooks, right? And even Psalm 42 says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. When shall I come appear before God. There's a hungering and there's a thirsting like an animal just panting after a flowing water brook. And it's like when you get that drink, everything is revitalized. So you want to know what will revive the church? Recovering the gospel, having a high view of God's word and coming freely to drink in the glories of Christ. Jesus is the living water. Jesus is the one who said, come to me and drink. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. So David knew what it was like to long for God. And you could tell he had a heart for God. As we all know David was not a perfect man. David was a man who failed greatly, but he had a heart after God. 
ultimately, when he blew it, he repented of his sins, came to the Lord, and he had an earnestness to come to God as God and with humility. And you see him earnestly reaching out to God in the time of the greatest crisis his life ever knew. And David was not just pursued by his son. If you will remember what happened at the beginning of David's ministry before he was king. David kills Goliath. And Saul is thrilled with this, who was the king at the time. And Saul says, I'll give you my daughter. And I'm going to bless you, my lad. I'm going to bless you. And he gives him everything. And then people start saying, well, you know, Saul has killed thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. And Saul began to get jealous. And he had an evil eye for David after that. And David would eventually be pursued by his own father-in-law into the wilderness again. He knew what it was like to live in caves and hiding. And the ones who were supposed to love him most were those who hated and despised him. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts, my flesh faints, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. But I remember, David remembers looking in the sanctuary. He remembers his God. And it was the Lord who preserved him in the midst of the wilderness from Saul. It was the Lord who delivered him from Saul's hand again and again and again. And there's one point where David is in a cave and Saul goes in there to, I think, use the restroom. And David has an opportunity to kill him, but he doesn't do it. By all rights, he could have. But he nips a little of his garment to have to show that he had the opportunity to kill him. And he goes out after Saul and says, Saul, and Saul's ready to kill him. He says, I could have killed you. The Lord delivered you into my hand, but I didn't. For I shall not strike down the Lord's anointed. David had such a trust in God that he did the right thing. And God delivered him again and again and again. And my dear friends, the Lord will deliver you in your wilderness if you turn to him. This is what this psalm is all about. It's about a man realizing that having God in the midst of trials and wilderness and adversity. You taste and see the goodness of God because his steadfast love is better than life. What happens when everything is stripped from you? Every earthly blessing this life provides. And all you have left is God. Will he be enough? And the answer of the Bible in 10,000 Psalms is yes. Behold your God. His steadfast love is better than life. Verse 3. How can he say that? Because he knew what it meant to know God. And brothers and sisters, listen. There is no better relationship you can have in the universe than the one you can have with the God who sent His Son to save sinners. With the God who demonstrated His love towards you by sending His Son to a cross when His Son was innocent because of your sin and your sin, and our sin, and my sin, to redeem a people who will call upon Him. 
Jesus bore the wrath of God against sin. You know why there's wildernesses in this world? Because sin has wreaked havoc in the world. Because sin has brought about turmoil and trouble. And there's, there's a reason we have coronavirus pandemics. Because sin has corrupted the world and we live in a fallen world. And every time you go through the wilderness, you are reminded that you live in a world that has been cursed by sin. And there is one who came to break the power of the curse. And he can do it in your soul. He can do it in your heart. He can do it in your life. And totally renew you so that you have hope in the wilderness of life. What do we see Jesus say all through the Gospels? You think of like John 4. He goes to a woman in Samaria and she's drawing water from a well. And you don't talk to women who are Samaritans, no less, because that would have kind of defiled Jews, or at least they thought that. And Jesus not only talks to her, but asks her to draw some water for him. And they get to talking and all of a sudden it's like, Jesus is talking about a different kind of water. And he reminds her, like, there's water that you could drink and you'll be thirsty again. But I provide water that if you drink it, you'll never thirst again. And this woman had gone through five different men. She was a serial adulterer. She had no hope. She was low on the status totem pole. She was without hope in the world. And Jesus comes to her out of his way to tell her, these words, everyone who drinks of this water, meaning the water at the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never be thirsty. The water that I give will become in him like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I've got life to give you, Jesus said. And the woman's like, well, I want some of that water. And Jesus points to himself as the one who can give it. He's an endless reservoir of life-giving water to all who are thirsty. Are you thirsty today? Come to him and drink. Come to the waters of life. There's no other thing. The world is going to tempt you to think that all the earthly comforts all of the things that you love and, 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 you know, like go ahead and binge the shows on Netflix. That's the answer. Uh, you know, binge Netflix shows to get through the hard times of pandemic. Binge Netflix shows to kind of get through the tough stuff. Go to something else. Go to an idol. Go to something that will replace, something that will make you feel numb, something that will deal with it, and none of it will do. Jesus said, come to me. I have life. And he can make you alive. And he says the same thing in his famous good shepherd psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Want is what happens when your heart is fixed on the stuff of this world. And when the wilderness comes... And all of it is stripped away. You realize how silly it is to be attached to those things that can be taken. But 
The good shepherd, he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. Psalm 23. That's God's word. That's what David reminded us in Psalm 23. He has green pastures. That's the good stuff. He has joys at his right hand forevermore. And to know God is to enter into the adventure of living for God in this world on mission to make him known to the world. And it's an adventure. And we're caught up in that as believers, as Christians who dwell and gather at Smithfield Baptist Church. You get to participate in the the reality of making God known in the middle of a wilderness. And you're like, we've got the water. Let me tell you about it. Oh, brothers and sisters, that we would just get that we would fall in love with telling people about the water of life that can come into a parched soul and make it totally new. Oh, that you might have boldness, kids, as you're in school, that you might have boldness to tell people about the living waters. And don't think it's strange. Don't think it's this sort of thing where, I mean, I can remember times when I was in the Marine Corps and they were calling me Reverend Phillips. After three months, I had been been a Christian. All of a sudden, I'm being called a reverend, you know, and I was doing all the stuff they were doing before. But there's a sense in which we're called to be bold. We've got the water. Show them the waters of life. If I can't share about the waters of life in the middle of a desert... What hope do we have? No, we have great hope. This is, a, this is something that you're being caught up in that you have the privilege of telling people about. And David surely declared it, because your steadfast love is better than life, what happens? My lips shall praise you. Why do we have four or five songs every service but to exalt God and to praise Him with our lips because we know and we savor and we love the reality of the covenant love of God coming into our lives through Jesus and we praise God for it. We tell of His greatness. We delight in Him. And verse 3 says, my lips will praise you. So brothers and sisters, we have the privilege of beholding our God, delighting in God, seeking after God earnestly, coming to Him personally. But we also are reminded that God is our satisfaction. You've got to seek Him for satisfaction. You've got to seek Him like He's fat and marrow. Like He's a good meal. Like He's something that's going to actually fill you up. He's actually going to give you peace. He's actually what you've been looking for all along. Oh God, You are my God. Earnestly I seek You. And then what does verse 5 say? My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When you are satisfied with God, you will begin to sing to God. When you are satisfied with God, joyful praise will bubble up in your soul. When you are satisfied with God, you can endure the parched deserts of this world and the landscape of the span of your life where 
Maybe you're not in a desert now, but you surely will be in one one day. And this is preparation. David is getting us ready for the desert. He's getting us ready for the wilderness. And what will it expose in us? I've heard plenty of sermons over the pandemic that have talked about wanting to get to a better time, wanting to get to a place where this is all gone. And I heard one where the preacher said, don't waste the pandemic because the pandemic has showed us who we are and what we need and come to God in the midst of it. Don't take this pandemic and waste it. This is the, the, the reality that God is calling us to Himself. He's calling you in the midst of the pandemic. He's calling you in the prospect that you might one day get sick. He's calling you in the reality where we've, had, we've been hit in some ways by it. But you want to know what? Christ is able to sustain His people in the midst of whatever goes on. And it's happened 2,000 years of history. God has been faithful even when His people were hunted down and were in the wilderness. God has been faithful when pandemics of old have hit. Do you know who rose up and served and preached the Gospel in the midst of it? It was the church. Everybody else was biting their nails. Everybody else was scared. Everybody else was not willing to take a risk. But the people of God depending on God and coming to Him, oh, that's where, that's where the Lord begins to sustain His people in the hardest of times. And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, this is a moment we have been made for. God has called us to go through this. And the question is, will we be faithful? Will we seek Him? Will we knock and seek and ask and come to Him? What did Paul teach us in the book of Philippians? To live is Christ and to die is gain. That sounds like a man whose satisfaction is in God alone. And you can take everything from Him, throw Him into prison, and even behead Him. And that only ushers Him into glory. Paul and Silas are thrown into prison and they're praising God in the midst of a dungeon. What creates that if not the satisfaction of the Lord in the soul? The sense of peace and safety and protection. And, and we're going to get to this, but ultimately, I want us to begin to get a whiff of what it means to lay hold of God and to seek Him. And that praise just starts coming out of our hearts because we're directly aware of the value of knowing God and what it means and how it changes our lives. And I, this Christmas, this kind of brought it home to me a little bit. You know, when you have small children, you can kind of tell what gifts they like and what gifts they don't, right? The ones they like, there's you know a difference. The ones they don't like, it's like they get a pair of socks or something, and it's like, oh, thank you so much. This is nice, you know. And it's like, it's like you could tell they don't really like it because they're not praising it. They're not super thankful. They're not super grateful. But we got them a Nintendo Switch, and you should have seen them open that up. It was like Technicolor, you know, like we got into the merry old land of Oz, and everybody's like, oh you know, singing. And I mean, uh, Josiah at one point grabs the switch, runs upstairs screaming, we got a switch, we got a switch. And he's just praising and so thankful because he valued that video game system 
probably the most out of anything he got. And that's a hollow comparison to the kind of praise and joyful lips that we should have when we praise our great God. And David knew how to praise God in the midst of the most trying, difficult times. How do you get there? You're like, okay, pastor, this is real great, you know, but how do I get there? Maybe you don't feel like that kind of joy. Maybe you don't feel that kind of peace. Maybe you don't feel that kind of satisfaction. You don't, it's not like you're, you're feasting on God. You feel famished. And perhaps there's a famine of God's word in your life. Because one of the things David will tell us in verse 6 is he says, when I remember you upon my bed and I meditate on you in the watches of the night. David remembers his God. That means he's got to think and reflect on God's faithfulness in the nighttime. And nighttime, if we're honest, is when a lot of those concerns begin to bubble to the surface. A lot of those concerns and worries and fears and anxieties come up and they come up and, and we start feeling worried about the things that are bothering us. And David says, remember the Lord, remember his faithfulness, remember his goodness. Remember who he is, remember how he's been faithful in the past. Do you keep a journal? Have you written down the ways the Lord has been faithful? I would encourage you to do it because that's one way to remember. But he says, I meditate on you in the watches of the night. He meditates on his God. He meditates on God. Now, how do you do that? You meditate on God by meditating on his word, because that is what he has disclosed to us about who he is, what he's doing in the world. You meditate on God when you remember his faithfulness in your life. And David knew what it was like to slay Goliath. David knew what it was like to rout his enemies. David knew what it was like to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the city of Jerusalem and begin to see God bring prosperity to the land and peace from all enemies on every side. He knew God's faithfulness. He knew the fountain of life. And he meditated on God's word. What does Psalm 1 say to us, but that very reality, it says, you know, to meditate on God's word day and night. And then you'll be like a tree planted by streams of water that will yield its fruit and will not wither. So you want to be strong in the Lord? You want to be strong in a vision of God? You want to remember him in the wasteland? You come to God's word and you drink it up. You drink it in. You take sips every day. And maybe you're like, I, you know, I'm not a pastor. I can't devote myself to this in that way. But surely you can sip on the word every day. Surely you can come just like you would take a drink uh, from the drinking fountain or wherever and take sips throughout the day. A verse here, a passage there. Have a plan to read the Bible. Have a plan to get it before your mind. That's the beauty of coming every Sunday as well. We get to hear from God. This is His Word. This is His Word to us. David knew what it was to have a soul cultivated to worship God 
and to behold him. And he was an ever-present help in a time of need. The last thing we see is that we need to seek God for protection. That's what we see in verse 7. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. Now, two things I want us to observe. Number one, David comes to God for help. David's not like pulling up his bootstraps and like, I got this, God. You know, he's like, no, I come to God for help. I come to God for rescue. I come to God for, to care for me. I come to God every day, dependent on God, humble before God because I need him. And it's like this picture of being cared for in the shadow of his wings, like a hen guarding her little chicks, like a hen caring for, providing, nurturing, protecting, loving. That's God's heart to you. That's God's heart to you, dear believer, in the midst of the desert wasteland. And sometimes we feel like, I'm not sure. But David promises us that God will meet him and see him through. And this whole psalm reminds us that God is an ever-present help in a time of need. And he will provide, and he will protect, and he will be with you in the darkness with the light of God, with the light of His Word, with the hope of the Gospel. Jesus doesn't just leave us in suffering. Jesus entered into the suffering. Jesus doesn't just leave us in the curse. He enters the curse for us and bears it on Himself. Jesus doesn't just see the evil out there and say, I'm going to do nothing about it. He comes into this evil world to rescue people who don't love Him who are running from Him, who are far from God, and He seeks and saves that which is lost. Do you need that rescue today? Or do you need to be reminded of it afresh that He's the one who will protect you? He's the one who will give you that safety. He's the one who will give you that peace. That's what David knew. My soul clings to the Lord, he says. My soul clings to the Lord. Now, I'll close with this. Um, in the Phillips household, we have times where I'll be walking anywhere in the house. And at one point or another, all of a sudden, I'll start getting children attached to my feet. And pretty soon, I've got one on one side, one on the other side, and I'm literally dragging them across the house, dragging them up the stairs. And, and, and they're just clinging with all their might. And they don't want to let daddy go. And they think it's funny that to watch daddy kind of walk around like that. And that is a heart that's just gripping, right? That's what God wants you to do with him. Cling to him. Run to him. Grab a hold of him. And notice what this psalm says. It says, my soul clings to you, verse 8. And what happens? Your right hand upholds me. I'm carrying my kids around that house. And you need to know as you cling to God... As you cling to God, He will carry you. As you cling to God, He will lift you up. As you cling to God in faith, He will help you. He's not going to leave you. He's going to meet you. So we need to remember, the wilderness exposes our need 
for God. And much like we said, don't waste the pandemic. Don't waste the wilderness times of your life because that shows you what you need most. The wilderness shows us that we must come to Jesus. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I give you rest. The wilderness reveals our need for a spiritual revival and renewal. Are you feeling like I've lost my first love? Are you feeling like my passion for Jesus has just dwindled? The wilderness wakes you up to your need for God, but also it reminds you of the first things you used to do when you were first saved and you just love God and you had such a passion for Him. The wilderness will remind you. It'll take you back to a place where all you've got is dependence on God. And it's a glorious thing. And the wilderness reminds us that we live in a fallen world and only the one who can reverse the effects of the curse can help you in the midst of the wilderness that was born out of a curse, that was born out of a failure to live for God and to listen to God and instead listen to a serpent. So instead of listening to the hissing of the evil one and the lies and falsehood that he spews out every day in the media and every day all around you, remember that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He's the answer to the wilderness. And one day, he'll lead you through the valley of darkness all the way home. And he did it by dying on a cross. So let us say with David, oh God, you are my God. And run to Christ. Believe. Be reminded that there's great help for us in the midst of dark days. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. And I'm reminded that I need this word just freshly to stab me awake. Because it's very easy to, to see the world around us. It's very easy to feel the discouragement in our soul, and to just forget that we have, an, uh, we have living waters. Every time we come to you, we can ask, we can seek, we can knock. And I, I just pray for wherever we're at today, we may have come in here very discouraged. We may come in here very hopeless. But I pray, Father, that you would encourage, that you would point us to Jesus, that you would point us to the one who can redeem and renew and strengthen and hold us. And oh Lord, help us to cling to the Lord. Help us to cling to you with faith. Help us to cling to you with hope. Help us to cling to you by running to you. And Lord, let us respond to your word now with faith. Let us hear the call of God to trust you in the midst of the wilderness. In Jesus' name, amen.